You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Hey everybody, Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on Maui on a very, very quiet Sunday. It's so quiet, as you all know, my dogs will probably start barking explosively any moment, but it doesn't last long. So once again, please forgive me and my pups if that happens. Uh, It's, uh, man, it's quiet here. Feels like uh, the calm before the storm. Things, uh, Things are happening. And we'll get into that with my guest today, who is long time good friend of mine, a, a blessing like uh, many of the guests that we have here. I've had the uh, benefit of being acquainted with them and knowing them and knowing their story. And the beauty of that is I know there's an incredible story that when you hear it, you'll not only be, I think, inspired and blown away. Uh, I think you'll come away with something on this Sunday or whenever it is you happen to listen to it that will uh You'll find motivating. I've always found that in my next guest. He is a true renaissance man. We'll we'll go into all the details with him, but as a quick intro uh, from a guy who spent some serious hard time in federal and was a, how shall we say it, a star in the adult industry. Uh, He is now a immensely successful guy on YouTube with his fresh out and truly um, one of the most no-nonsense yet positive guys that I know. It's uh, my pleasure to introduce my good friend, Big Herc. What's up, Rick, man? And uh, thank you for all the kudos, man, and um, the intro. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity, man. I know we have go back pretty far back, man, and um, it's a pleasure being on the show. No, I'm, I'm really glad to have you, and it's good to see you because I haven't seen you in so long it's been uh, it's been ages my friend too long but c- clearly you're you're doing well i know that and right away when you pop up it's just like happiness and light i i always see that in you are, are you always this happy and upbeat uh i try to keep a, a positive aura around myself and if i if i feel like things aren't where they should be i try to realign them so that's been one of the keys to me really changing my life and the course of my life is finding that balance and uh, just recognizing good energy, you know, and not and not let myself get trapped in like really dark, really dark circles. So how, how do you do that then? So you mentioned your real line. Is it, um, is it conscious or has it become automatic for you now? And if it is conscious at all, what's that process like? Um, well, for one, I I know that we exist in a material world, but, you know, in the subconscious, there's a, there's a lot of things transpiring and our minds absorb things, even though we might not recognize them. And then they come out in different actions. That might be something you say or something you do. So I try to control more of that by just being in tune. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's times where I might just go and just sit out outside and and just look at the grass and kind of reflect or meditate on the simplicity of life. You know, something about nature 
or, you know, just disassociate myself with society and all the madness so that I can find, you know, find myself and, and center myself because it, it's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, we talk about, we talk about radio waves and you talk about people being able to talk to a box or me and you communicating, you know, from, a, you know, across the world. Um, our absorbs a lot of things that are transpiring and a lot of people don't know how to get those different negative thoughts out. So, you know, they, they fester in other ways, whether it's stress, anxiety, depression, and they don't realize where it's coming from. But once you can figure that out, um, it's, it's so powerful. It changes the way you, you, you can change the outcome of situation. You can change the outcome of how you feel, you know, coping with, you know, life situations. But, you know, you have to find that. And it's hard to find because a lot of people don't know how to do it. So I, I learned about it in prison by just, you know, meditating, reflecting and 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 centering myself by, you know, just basically creating a nothingness in my mind. And from there, I can create whatever I want to create and just get rid of everything else, because we're not compelled to harbor negative thoughts. You know, people think, oh, man, you got to have a bad day. You got to be this. Um, we have them, but you don't have to have those. You don't have to be unhappy. You don't have to entertain neg negativity. I mean, you can simply say, you know what, I'm not going to do it. And it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You can almost walk around like with a force field around yourself. And, you know, that that's a, a game changer once you can master that. what you're saying that that's amazing this might sound a little overly simplistic but i remember reading you know gotta hate to say it probably 35 40 years ago uh when the whole like self-help movement got started one of the very first things i remember reading was this uh poem by a guy named charles swindle and it was not swindle but swindle and it was entitled life is 90 percent attitude and 10 percent circumstances uh, it's all about how you treat it. You know, I'm not sure if those are the exact numbers or not, but there, there's a lot of truth on that, wouldn't you say? Because you said you learned how to be positive while in prison. I mean, there's probably not a worse place to be in most people's mind, I would think. And that's where you started to adopt this philosophy. Is that right? Yeah, because, I mean, it, it sat me down. You know, when I was on the street before I went to prison, man, I was doing a lot of... Uh, I was doing a lot of dark stuff. I was doing a lot of, uh, I was still involved in a lot of street activity. I, I still had the mentality that, you know, you know, uh, I mean, I'm a gangster, you know, behind closed doors and I'm, I'm the good guy in your face type thing. And, um, I really hadn't, I really didn't understand my purpose or, you know, the, the subconscious and the consciousness and, and why I was attracted to certain things. So when I went to prison, unlike a lot of people, I, I you know, when you, when you, when they're talking about, you know, doing 15, 20 years, to me, it was a, it, it was a life moment. And so I really had to think about like, what did I do to get to this point? Because you don't wake up one day and have that type of judgment stacked against you. You work your way up to that. So there might have been things you did that you didn't get caught for, things you got away with, but all that adds up. And so it just, you know, what led to the, the, the actual incarceration was just everything being cashed out in, in, in the game of life. And so for me, I had to reflect on that because 
you know, I felt that I almost had an epiphany when I was laying in handcuffs when when I got caught in my high speed chase that, you know, the game is over. I have to do something different. And so I had to do a lot of soul searching. I had to really, you know, dig deep in, and, and look at the principles I was raised on and like, you know, everything from religion to, um, you know, social beliefs. I had to question all that and see where did I have the uh, where, where did I have the, the problems at? What what was uh, the issues I needed to address? And I worked on that. And during the whole time I was in prison for those eight years, eight months, there is not one day I didn't think about, you know, the mistakes I made and how I could better myself and also how to create momentum leaving prison so that I could become this new person. A lot of people, they do things and they then they go back and keep reflect, keep uh, harboring the old them. You know, they want to glorify things they were doing, make, you know, and until you make a clean break, you can't straddle the fence. You can't be the old you to appease certain people and then try to become a new you. You have to let one per one of them go. And it's like the upper and lower self in, in, um, in, in uh, Buddhism, you know, lower and higher self. You got to let go of one of those because one of them is toxic and the other one is trying to shine. So you're, you're, you're dealing with these two different entities inside of yourself. And until you can learn to master one of them, you're not going to move forward. And I've seen people struggle with that. And that's why they fall back to drug addiction, alcohol addiction, or, you know, committing crime because they're trying to escape because one voice is too strong. So we, everybody has it, but some people just know how to quiet the voice. Other people know how to manage the voice. Some people, the voice is overwhelming. So, you know, it's just a lower and higher self. And it's, it's, it's going on because as humans, we're, we're conduits of energy and we're attracting all this stuff. So we have to learn to filter. And we're not taught that. We're not taught spiritual awareness. We're taught, you know, financial, you know, education, you know, religion. But we're not taught spiritual, spiritual consciousness, you know, something that you can do on your own without having to go to somebody else for them to tell you how to interpret a, a, a you know a document you know once you master self everything else falls into place man there's nobody has any control over you and you realize that you know if you hear something or you see something you, you can either accept it or not accept it but you're in you're in full control so I did that on a daily basis and I had a profound uh you know out of body experience you know I I, I ran into a couple of mentors and one of the books that really changed my life in there was uh Conversations with God by Neil Donald Scott Walsh. And it's not a religious book, but it's just a it's a spiritual awakening book. And uh, you know, I read the I read Deepak Tropa also and uh Sylvia Saint, but Neil Donald Scott Walsh, man, it, it changed my life and and I just reflected on a lot of the things in there. And from there, man, everything my life just it took a whole nother direction. Neil Donald Scott Walsh, Conversations with God. I'm going to get that book. I'm not familiar. So I appreciate that. Thanks, Marcus. So, <laughs> big hurt. I called you your real name. We're old friends. I'm not do that, man. All right. That's the one thing we talked about before. We I knew I would do that. I knew it. I was pretty caught up on what you were talking about. Apologies. It won't happen again. Um, this is Big Herc, everybody, from Fresh Out. I want to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to go backwards before we go forwards. So people looking at you now, people that you're 500,000 plus subscribers on YouTube, 
they look at you now and they see a very bright, I would say light guy, you know, the, the, the aura is very light. You can't, obviously we've talked a little bit about prison. We've talked about really changing things, but someone that's seeing you for the first time now going, there's no way this guy wasn't always happy because you just, you come across that way and that's a compliment. Can you take a minute just to tell us, to describe, if you will, you know, if you don't mind, what Big Herc was like at his worst, mentally, emotionally, what you were doing physically. So I want, uh, I want people to know where you were and, and, and really contrast it with where you are now. Well, I would say at my worst, man, I mean, I was always kind of like a happy-go-lucky person. I didn't uh, necessarily walk around with a chip on my shoulder, but at the same time, if uh, there was something that I felt was an opportunity in the hood or there was, you know, something that need to be handled, you know, I, I didn't have no problem handling it. You know, I mean, you know, carrying a pistol, um, you know, waiting for somebody late at night. I didn't have a problem getting down like that. And I did it on a sober, you know, I've never drank or got high. So I was always like, you know, doing whatever I did on a clear conscience, even though it was a, a, a dark conscience, um, I was involved in these things because I was the type of person where if somebody told me something, say, for instance, you told me, hey, uh, Big Herc, man, I got I, I got some drugs for you. I got, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm waiting on that. And if you don't have it and you lie to me, I might just rob you just because you lied to me. Because you you promised me, and I was already looking forward to making that money. So now you done messed up my money. So you know I was really you know I took the street serious. I had a certain you know code that I I, I kind of stood by, and um, you know I had I had the potential to do good because I knew better. But it seemed like asserting a darker element was is easy to a degree. So I kind of fell into that because it, it seemed like, you know, I was, I was, I was somewhat, you know, I, I it was somewhat easy. It was, I was, it was somewhat attractive to, it was attractive, easy, and I can, I can get away with it. And, uh, you know, it took me, you know, I just, I used to, you know, I would do things. I might, you know, I might on a weekend put in some work and then come back and act like nothing happened. I mean, I would, you know, do certain certain things. I don't want to incriminate myself, but get involved in things that, you know, had I maybe got caught for those things, I might have been in jail longer than what I did. So, you know, it's just my mentality was 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 super street. And, you know, I had no problem. If somebody crossed me, I had no problem getting with him, man. I, I didn't duck any wreck. I didn't I didn't worry about a consequence because I was more worried about taking care of business with the action. And, uh, you know, it was, and, 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 you know, and like I said, it wasn't like uh, I carried that outwardly because I would, you know, always be like a person I could blend right in. I could be an articulate businessman or talk this, but there was another side. And now that side, you know, I kind of, you know, buried it and, 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 and learned to not embrace that but you know, it took a lot to really realize why did I embrace that that uh, that gangster side and that darker element, and uh, what was the attraction there? And it, it wasn't really the, any reward for it. I mean, at the end of the day, it got me you know 
almost a decade in prison. And, um, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't nothing to brag about, man. It's almost embarrassing to even talk about that side because um, I, I'm not it's, it's nothing to glamorize. It's not glamorous to think that, you know, you could roll up on somebody and, you know, put a put a strap to their head or, you know, do something to somebody and, and not think twice. You know, it's not it's not something to uh, it, it's not something to endorse. And I would never want to see a youngster or another person thinking that that's a way of life because it's not. And, you know, if it's not prison, it could be at the, you know, at the, at the barrel of somebody else who deals with you, you know, and and it's a, it's a very risque lifestyle. And, um, you know, I was the type of person I I was, I was willing to take risk, man. If I said I was going to do something, best believe I was going to do it. You know, I I wasn't going to, you know, once I said in my mind, which is kind of like I have one of those mentalities when I say I'm going to commit to something, I I, I commit rather than saying, well, you know what, I'll let that pass. You know, I had a, you know, I had this type of personality where if I, if I told somebody I was going to do something to them, I'm going to do something to them. So, you know, I just really, you know, like I said, just reflecting on that person, it's almost like I don't know who that person was. And, you know, I'd never let that person come out around my family. But, you know, you know, I was that person, man. It's like, you know, if somebody harmed one of mine or or did something to somebody I, I felt was a, was a friend of mine, you know, they were going to get handled. Well, it must be nice that that guy is uh, is no longer around. Now, how... I know, you know, you talk about commitment and, and doing what you say you're going to do. I've, since I've known you and everybody listening, watching, I did not know Marcus while he was in. I knew him uh, a few years, at least after, after you came out, um, where the guy you are today, I, believe, I know it's a constant evolution and you're always growing, but I think you were a lot like the guy you are today when I first met you, which is a good person who's a man of his word. You do what you say you're going to do, no matter whether it, in the past with to somebody or now it's more for somebody for your family so I, I commend you for that and you have this series now fresh out it's on youtube people can see the crawl along the bottom of the screen here i don't know if you notice but mm-hmm. our our amazing producer john pause put that up for us um so people to to watch what big hurt does on the daily check out his youtube it's youtube.com forward slash fresh out series or just search fresh out on youtube you'll find it that way so, Marcus, big hurt. People go to look at Fresh Out. I think the first impression might be, well, hey, this guy, and this guy is saying that that's in his past, yet he's telling prison stories. The way I see it, and I've watched a lot of it now, I think it's great, by the way, is I see it as, you know, it, I don't want to say, use the wrong words, but like a hook to get people interested because everybody who hasn't been in as fascinated with what it must, what they perceive it to be like inside, you know that. So they want to hear those stories, but more than that, it feels to me like, and I want to see if this was your intent or not with the show, or if I'm completely off base, it seems like it's a parable for what, for, for life lessons, really more more than anything. How did, how do you see fresh out? If you're describing it to somebody the first time, if they're not familiar with it, how do you describe your show? Um, fresh out, you know, telling prison stories, the whole concept I came up with when I was in prison, 
actually walk in the yard and trying to figure out like one of the things I want to do when I get out as far as um, for one, produce a show to educate people. And for two, to show that people do make positive change and, um, you know, prison, seeing a person after prison is the big change, you know, inside people could say anything to try to convince somebody that they're, you know, rehabilitated or what have you. And you got guys who are big shots in prison, but when they get on the streets, these guys, you know, they can't survive. So I want to show the other side. And when I, when people say, oh man, you know, you're telling prison stories, the stories on my show are not meant to uh, embrace prison as, you know, somewhere you want to go and hang out to get accolades. You know, my show is about life lessons, showing young people, people in general, that prison, you know, is not somewhere that you can control as far as the environment because things happen that are out of your control. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, don't do things that get you caught up. And, because of that, because of my show and what I've been doing, I mean, so many people from around the world have emailed me, you know, parents who have watched it with their kids and where the parents couldn't reach the kids because, you know, how kids are parents. They feel like they're, you know, trying to boss them around. So when they hear from somebody else from me and it makes sense. And, you know, if I was one of those channels that glorified prison and you see me, you know, talking with the hat on backwards or whatever, or if I talk more slang, I'd probably be at over a million subscribers because that's what is being pushed on social media. That narrative, the black guy that's, you know, the thugged out dude or the guy who's from the hood. And, you know, when people hear me talk, they're like, well, you don't sound like you did this. And, oh, my God, you know, you're not, the, you know, you're talking like a white guy or whatever. And I'm just showing you that you can't put a label on stuff. It doesn't matter how you talk. And, and to think that you have to talk a certain way to be a thug, you got to be, uh, you know, you got to be, you got to be ignorant. The biggest gangsters are well-educated military trained and they'll split your wig. So to think that a person has to talk a certain way to to actually carry on a lifestyle, but my whole thing is, is, is you know, at the end of the day is being a deterrent to be able to relate and tell people, because I've been there, I've done it all, man. And I, you know, I, I'm just so blessed that I didn't do something that really got me caught up and I, I'd be, you know, not being able to do this. But, you know, I, I try to tell kids like, man, look, I chased uh, a reputation or, um, you know, a, um, a, a street persona that I thought that would somehow give me fulfillment. And it was a total bamboozle. There's nothing that you're going to get at the end of the day if they call you Godfather, Kingpin, Gangster Man, you know, Thug, Goon. There's nothing at that. So I've actually, you know, pushed to, uh, you know, every time somebody does tell a story, at the end of the day, it wasn't like they're telling it to make fun of it. They're telling it because, man, it, it wasn't cool. You know, it's not something you want to experience. And, uh, you know, I feel like my show has been one of the major shows, Streamline Prison Stuff. We started in 2013, but just the amount of people we reached, man, from around the world. I mean, Colombia, Somalia, Germany, Russia, we got guys who watch this over in Russia, man. And they tell me like, dude, you know, we, we really, you inspire us. And, you know, because of watching your show, there's a lot of things I'm doing different. 
So I know it's working. I know it's putting out a positive message. And at the end of the day, you know, that's why I don't, I don't, you know, I, I never, I don't really like to talk about a lot about my background as far as the stuff, because I don't think that's important. What's important is what I'm doing now, but I can use that as a reference because it's not like I, I was just somebody out there doing credit card fraud. You know, I'm not some little, you know, patsy that was running around, you know, getting beat up in a neighborhood. You know, you can go and, and see my credentials is, is, is thick, you know, but it's like you can change. You can do something different. And we're a lot of the people, they don't realize that they have so much more potential. So talking about potential, you're you're it's amazing to watch you because I've seen um, I've seen so much growth in your business uh, enterprise since, since we first uh, since we first met. You've grown this YouTube channel. Heck, when you were in prison thinking about having a show, I'll bet YouTube channels weren't even a thing yet, were they? Did you know? About no, that? I don't think YouTube started. I got out 2008 during the housing crisis, and I think that's right around the time YouTube started. But I didn't really get hip to YouTube till probably 2010, 2011. I kind of heard about it, but then 2013 is when we pulled the trigger. So you launched in 13. You're you cracked the half million dollar mark, just or half million follower mark recently. Congratulations for that. What's What's next? How else are you going to continue to get the message out? Because if I know you, your uh, your wheels are turning, and there's a lot of things in the work to uh, to grow the brand. Um, just get I'm getting more into public speaking engagements. Um, been speaking at some colleges, you know, doing speaking at some um, like auditorium type gigs, getting out there and doing like more of a uh, a motivational, inspirational thing for just people in the inner city, kids who are looking for that that hope um also you know taking the show to a mainstream level as far as the mainstream network you know one of the things we ran into uh pushing the show to the next level was somebody said we're glorifying prison because everybody on our show has been successful you know got their own business um self-employed or got a good job and they're you know doing well you know a couple guys you know, not so much, but for the most part, most guys have been doing pretty well. And I say that, that, that there's enough negative as far as guys on, you know, cops and some of these shows doing stupid stuff. I want to show just the wide variety of people who have changed. I've had white guys, black guys, Mexican guys. So I want to show that these people, you know, have been able to go through the fire and come out the other side and actually make something of their life. So, you know, that's my my goal is to get this thing um, on a major network and also keep building Big Herc 916, which is, you know, I'd mentor people. I do life coaching over there on Big Herc 916 YouTube and really spreading the positive message so that young young men out there who are kind of searching for themselves, which we have a lot of young men out there right now that's just really lost. Um, they can find some hope and hopefully, you know, do something positive with their life. Yeah, there, and there's more and more of that. It's it, it's so dominant in, in today's society, and you know, I, I I feel like I feel like your timing is perfect, actually, because you're right. Up until a certain point, it's all about you know the glorification of, of what people perceive to be this glamorous lifestyle that that you and I both know is negative and 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 filled with uh, filled with hate and ways we shouldn't conduct ourselves as human beings. I think. 
I think there's a shift happening in this world. At least I hope I'm right. If I'm right about anything ever, I hope I'm right about this. I feel like there's a shift happening and that people want to see now what it is you're talking about. So I think your timing is good, man. I bet we'll uh, see you on, uh, since say the TV, anybody watch TV anymore? Whatever it is, I'm sure we'll <laughs> whatever the delivery system may be. I know. We'll see you on that soon. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Now, when you came out, you wrote a book. Do you still do you still sell that book? I still have it. I wrote um I wrote a couple books rather than prison. I wrote Bedroom Gangster, Bedroom Gangster, erotic uh, urban erotic novel. Uh, I wrote that. Um, and it, you know it's pretty pretty entertaining. You know I wrote that for a lot of guys in jail and just in general, yeah. just something to pass the time. And then I also wrote a book um how how Big Hurt got down in a porn game. And yep. on yep. Amazon too. So I got two books on Amazon that I still sell that uh, you know are expression of my creativity. And I'm actually working on a memoir right now. And um, hopefully I'll have that done soon. I remember reading excerpts from a couple of your books. Funny thing is, I want to mention uh, before I mention this, I think you brought some of I, thought, I think you brought some of California to to Maui today. Um, I've been here for about three years now. And in the course of our conversation today, we've had four or five earthquakes and tremors. First time ever since I've been on Maui. Oh, wow. That's your gift from California. That's why I'm looking around. If you notice, you're doing that <laughs> That's crazy. The whole house is shaking. It's pretty weird. And we're up on stilts here in the forest, too. Um, so my ex-girlfriend here on Maui will forever know you as a bedroom gangster. So I, I think that's <laughs> I, I know we read some of your stuff together online. You have some pretty freaking hysterical, hardcore porn stories in those books that you wrote. All right, we got we got to do it. Tell me about tell me a little bit. That's about a little bit about your time in the adult game, please. How'd you get into it? Why did you do it? And uh, and thank God you got out of it. How'd that happen? Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I got into the porn industry. In 1994, um, you know, pre-internet, pre-social media, fans only, all that stuff. Um, you know, I was I was locked up from 18 to 21, at the height of when you would be out there sowing your oats, you know, busting cheeks. So during that time, um, while I was locked up, all I did was work out and uh, look at you know fiend books, you know, porn books. You know, we, you know, the young man, you're looking at these books, fantasizing about girls when you get out. And I looked in these books. I'm like, man, that looks like a hell of a job. You know, that's well, I wonder what that pays. You know, maybe I can make a profession when I get out of here and I'll make money and also catch up on my numbers. So I figured I killed two birds with one stone. So when I got out in 94, I was locked up from uh, 1992 to 1994. Um I said, you know, when I go to LA, when I get out, I'm gonna find, um, I'm gonna find a way to get into the, the industry. And back then, they had, um, I forgot what they called it, but uh, LA Weekly, and they had oh, yeah. ads in the back. Remember LA Weekly with the newspaper? Uh, my, we used to run ads in the back of the LA Weekly. <laughs> I remember it well. Yes, LA Weekly classic. That's a story for another time. But yes. Yeah, yeah, LA Weekly. So I found an ad back there and responded to it, and. Um, you know, met this guy who had an agency, one of the, the oldest agencies out there back in the day, and sent him and, and, you know, off of Santa Monica Boulevard. And, uh, you know, auditioned, took some pictures. Next thing you know, 
did my first scene and, um, you know, started having fun, getting into the business. I mean, I wasn't out of jail three weeks and I was doing my probably my first porn. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, you look at the books, it looks like, oh, man, this is so fun. You get on a set, man, it's work. I mean, dude, everything's uh, OK. Go uh, uh, ready. Uh, start. You know, you're sitting there and it doesn't happen like that in the bedroom. You know, in the bedroom, you got to you got to, you know, finesse and move around and do this and that. And, you know, you're not used to having, you know, eight, 10 people in the room and 100 degree lights on you and somebody with a camera under your nuts. I mean, it's, it's a whole nother experience. So, you know, working in that business, you know, I, I, I met a lot of interesting people, learned a lot about the industry. And after, you know, being in it for a while, I did over 300 some films, you know, I realized, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it was a, it was a time passing, but it wasn't something I wanted to make a total future. Out. There's nobody else, a multimillionaire. And for myself, I wanted to make a lot of money. I'm like, this is like more, I'm kind of being exploited to an extent, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a prop, you know, I'm just kind of here and, you know, yeah, there's girls, you get all these girls, all this stuff. But when you get past that, you know, I was getting I was getting women outside the industry. A lot of guys, they don't have I, I you know, I have games, so I wasn't like I, I needed to go to the industry to, to hook up. So once I, you know, once I kind of got it out of my system, I'm like, you know, it, it's like I got bigger things to do in life. So I kind of moved on and um transitioned out before it really hit like the internet and all that stuff. You know, I I I got locked when I got locked up is right when it was starting to you know, you were starting to have websites and things of that nature because back then it was, you only seen magazines, magazines and what it, uh, I think that a lot of DVDs back then. So it was a totally different era. And, you know, the, the girls and stuff, it was, you know, people actually were like mini starlets and stars where mm-hmm. now you got the housewife in Oklahoma. She's, uh, you know, she's got her own thing going, but it wasn't like that back in the day. It was actually really, really, it, it was different. Yes. I've, if you remember when you and I met, I was actually living in an active porn studio in the valley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> that place was pretty cool, though. You got to admit. It um, was. It was. You would never know that's back there. Yeah. It was a weird place to live. That's for sure. But um, yeah, before that, way back in the valley days, I, I used to run one of the companies in tropics, if you've heard of that one. So it, it was it was a different game then. I'm not proud of that. It's just, it's stories for our history. <laughs> um, you know, all right, forget all that. I have to go back to something you said. You got out, you answered an ad, and you auditioned. What does an audition for, for a male in the industry consist of? Uh, a male in the industry is about if you can get a hard on. So for a guy, for a girl, it's, it really, man, the girl doesn't really have to do anything but lay there. You know, turn around, look at the camera, look sexy. A guy... You have to be at, uh, you know, you got to perform, man. And they really are trying to hear any excuses. So, you know, there was back then no Viagra, no Cialis. So you had to, you know, you might have a little ginseng or something, but, you know, you had to, you know, rise to the occasion. So it was a lot more, you know, you had a lot more, the performance back then were different. And, um, it, it was all about, you know, you only were good as your last scene. So if you had a bad scene, bro, the word was spread like wildfire and you might not get any more work because two bad scenes, you might not be able to pay your rent. 
Okay, even the fluffers want nothing to do with you at that point. I know. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it was a lot of it was a lot of uh the guys were like 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 I would I hate you know use the word like bitches where you know guys would gossip. You know, if you were on a set, Rick, they would say stuff behind your back because they want to get your job, or you know, somebody try to throw you under the bus. And it's just a lot of backstabbing and really, you know, undermining. And I, you know, I never got down like that, man. I, I don't, I don't, I never talked behind somebody's back or texted somebody that I don't, you know, if I'm going to say something, I'm going to say it to your face. But in that business, nobody could really be trusted. Everybody was trying to get what you had. And, um, you know, I just realized that that scene really wasn't for me. You know, I still know a couple of people that I'm cool with in the business, but a lot of the people, man, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust them around my, my wife, you know? I, I do know, you know, it's funny. Um, th this is kind of a, th this is a mention that will only make sense to a few, including our producer, John Pazorowski, who, who's deep into the pro wrestling business, the pro wrestling business and the porn business to me, have always been almost identical in, in how the industry conducts themselves. They're very narrow, very weird, bizarre little worlds that uh, unless you're in it, it's hard to explain. I think you're doing a great job of explaining it. Uh, but uh, it, it's fun from the outside looking in. It looks amazing and glamorous. But once you're in it, oh, boy, it's, uh, it's a different <laughs> kind of world. It's not always a great thing, that's for sure. Wow. So, people, if you, you can see Big Her. I'm fresh out. Everybody can see them. They're very easy. And if you look hard enough, maybe you can find them on Pornhub also. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw it out there, man. How would people get your old books if they want to be uh, entertained by some of the, uh, the the tall tales from back in the day? Um, Amazon. I'm on Amazon. So they can find Bedroom Gangster on Amazon, How Big Hurt Got Down in a Porn Game on Amazon. So, you know, I sell a few books here and there. And, uh, I just uh, my, just did a thing on Vice TV, you know, porn gangsters. So, you know, some of my backstory is also on there. And then you almost became a reality star in our old, in our ill-fated venture with the collective. Remember that? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I bring it up for one reason, because when we edit this and we air it later, we'll, we'll throw a clip in there. That was funny, man. I, I think maybe we were on this something. Maybe we were ahead of our time. Maybe it just didn't work because it was not supposed to work. Um, any memories about our time in the collective and the effort that we put forth? And again, I'm going to you know, air some clips so people will see what we're talking about. I, I think that, uh, like you said, it was it was misunderstood by the people we pitched it to because, you know, you remember, I went with you to all the pitch meetings. Not everybody went. But me and you, sometimes it'd just be me and you in there or – Maybe me, you, and um, somebody else would show up. But for most part, whenever you said, hey, man, I'm going to a meeting, I would make an effort to be there just to hear what their, you know, opinion was of it. And, I, you know, looking at what I've seen on TV now, you know, there's so much trash that's been produced since then. It's like it doesn't really add up to me. But like you said, I think that for what we were pushing, and we were pushing a pretty, which right now there's a lot of, I would say they call it soy boys, you know, movement and, and simps. And we were the total opposite of that. We were very manly man type show, you know, entourage on steroids, you know, uh, it, 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 it was a, it was a lot of personality there. And sometimes I think it was almost too much for a network to try to, to try to manage. So they didn't, you know, they kind of blew us off with some weird denial, but, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, it was it was uh everybody that I know that seen it, man, thought that it should have been a show. I I mean, out of all the people that I know that viewed it and you know, the feedback I got it was it was all positive, but it just it, it like you said, it seemed like it's all timing. Yeah, I think it was timing. I think it was maybe too complex for its day. Um, you're right. The, the the networks they want what's already been on. You know, if you're you pitch to the E network, you you cannot pitch at E without hearing the word Kardashian come up. And we didn't have any Kardashians in our cast, so that wasn't going to happen. But um, yeah, it was entourage on on steroids, and you know, it was, it was brotherly love. I think among seven guys who really didn't look they'd be like they'd be participating in something like that, which is why I thought it was so great. If you were, uh, remember that band Panic at the Disco, who um, they went like on an internet tire about us, how we were like the most ridiculous thing they'd ever seen. I don't know where that came from. And then then others uh, were saying, oh, this is clearly meant to be um, a show for, oh, what's it called? The Gay Network. I forget what it's called now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think think people are having trouble getting it. It was fun, though. but, you know, I think the one reason it never would have worked, because if we had gotten a network deal, and I really thought we were at one point. If you remember, we met with the top people at Spike, and we, we got into the rooms, and, and they did like it. They didn't know what to do with it, like you said. It wouldn't have lasted, because you could imagine, if we had gotten a real budget behind us with that group of seven guys we had put together, how fast do you think that would have imploded? Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, I can still remember going to your place and uh and hearing uh you know these guys remember tika and chad going at it we're sitting there we're trying to like work out like man <laughs> it wouldn't have went but one or two seasons before it imploded yeah two two's being generous i think yeah <laughs> it was fun i'm gonna put uh when we edit this we'll put some clips in here to give people an idea of what we're talking about that that, okay. that would be um man so you, um, th- these days, li- life is good, yes? Yeah, yeah, life is good, man. No complaints. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of, uh, like, really building my brand, doing a lot of uh, uh, life coaching stuff, like I said. And then I had, for a while, I was restoring and selling old muscle cars. So I was really involved in the classic car scene. I've, I've had probably close to you know 40 or 50 cars since i've been out over the last 10 years that i've fixed up and and you know worked on and restored so that's kind of like my passion and that keeps me busy and then also just just staying healthy man and, and trying to you know i try to reach out as much as possible to just you know shed some type of positivity and give back as far as for all the negativity i've done to give back positive and that's what really makes me feel good it's like knowing when i go places i mean Dude, I, I've ran across Armenian gangsters, you know, Southsiders, you know, white guys you wouldn't believe. And they're like, Big Herc, man, I watch your stuff, man, cool stuff. I mean, law enforcement, you know, who have reached out and said, you know, you're doing a great job. So that really makes me feel good to know that, you know, people are actually tuning in and I'm actually giving out a positive message because I try to, you know, not offend anybody, but, you know, let everybody know that, you know, harmoniously we need to all things need to change, you know, especially with the, the prison system and just the mentality of young people, man, who are selling themselves short by buying into a glamorized lifestyle. That's a dead end. Man, what a, what a blessing to be as successful as you are now, you know, on, 
by the terms most people define success, whether it's monetary or, or having things or, or having fame or whatnot, but to be doing it the way you're doing it, to truly give something and to get the kind of uh, response that you're getting. So again, just, uh, you know, accolades and, and hats off to you, man. I'm very, very happy for you. Uh, so these days, there, you're on social media a lot. You have to be. You, your, your world largely revolves around that. We have a lot of friends in common. I don't know if you have noticed the following, something I've noticed. A lot of people are, are angry these days about what's happening. It, it, this is not necessarily you know, criminal activity or, or anything to do with that world, but they're angry by their daily experience and by what's happening in the media. And th this is not a, an allusion to politics. You and I talked about it before we went live here that neither of us like to talk about politics and I stick by that. But the climate is creating a lot of anger, a lot of fear, and then you see it reflected on social constantly. Where good friends of ours are are hammering each other because one person may not believe what the other believes. In the old days, we called it a disagreement, and you know we talk about it, maybe have a laugh about it, and go out and have a beer afterwards, or in your case, uh, a Shirley Temple, whatever whatever the case might be. Remember the scene from the Collective when we were in the bar <laughs> whiskey, and you had we got you a big drink with like. Pineapples, <laughs> a non-alcoholic beverage. Non-alcoholic beverage. Yes. Um, people put their differences aside very easily before. Now it seems like it's friend against friend. There's so much pent up and built up anger. And to me, it seems like people making something. I don't want to say out of nothing because there's stuff going on right now that's going to affect us and you know the generations that come after. But it's an effect that's all up here right now. It seems to me. Yet it's it's being Put out in, in anger and vitriol toward others. Are you seeing that or are you able to ignore that pretty much? I am seeing it. And, you know, if you read about like just uh, how media is media can be weaponized and mm -hmm. it has been weaponized in a sense where it's used to create disarray, um, hatred, um, divide and and you know when you really think about it, when's the last you know really happy thing they talked about on the mainstream news? It's always yeah. bashing somebody with what they found. You know, it's nothing about little kids playing somebody's bird. You know, there's nothing positive. So that's what I talk about when I say you know decompress, go look at the grass, meditate. And I try not to even watch the news. I mean, me and the wife, we watch. I'll watch the cooking channel or, or a home rehab or something and relax, but I can't watch the news no more. I really see how it's programmed to really affect us. And your harmony, you know, a lot of people don't realize that 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 information, you're you might think you're blocking out, but you're processing that. And then it comes out and somebody cutting you off in traffic or like you said, a friend, he'll make a post and you'll just put something real nasty on the post as a response. And you don't even know why you do it five minutes later. So, you know, the media, man, I've really shut out. I mean, I do my social media and I, you know, I try to respond to people who uh, tune into my channel and my page, but I, I, I don't, I try not to watch anything mainstream news wise because it's so biased and it's just really right now has really shown a lot of, you know, a narrative that's been going on that we've been kind of like blind to. Okay, good. And the takeaway I hear from that is we have a choice. We have a choice to watch it. If we do choose to watch it, 
we still have a choice how we react to it though we, we don't we don't we don't have to be what it is we're talking about the, the person that we don't want to be it's it's always a, it's always up to us at the end of the day isn't it yeah and we, we got to learn i mean a lot of people react off emotion rather than you know rational so you know when you start thinking about things and before you say something about it really think about what you say and like you said we have the ability to not react at all yeah, I have a, um, I do have a, a news website to recommend to you. I recommend this to everybody. I don't think I've ever mentioned it before on the show. It's the good news network.com. And every now and then I'll log on actually once, probably once a day, I'll log on and read a story or two. And you know what it's about, Herc? It's about ex exactly what you're talking about. Happy, fun stuff, uplifting, inspirational, positive, so it's it's nice to see that there are portals like that out there making the effort, and and that's a choice also because I could have spent um, another five minutes on you know CNN or Fox or if I want to go you know way left to Breitbart or way right to Daily Beast or I think I have that backwards actually. Um, so there's always a choice, and and I, I wanted to say that with with you on the line here because I know I. I I don't think you echo me. I think I echo you. I follow your lead when it comes to uh, to doing my best to make a positive choice every day. You know, it's weird when you when you said that. I just thought about how watching that network. You just mentioned that, and think about like you know energy and vibration patterns. And if if that was the case, and more people watched that, imagine if more people actually embrace like you know, hey, how you doing happiness and positivity, how that would change the outcome of everything. You know, right now, you know, people are so angry, they're scared, they're frustrated. So you have a lot of people who are just, you know, don't know what's coming of the unknown. But when you could say, like you said, bring out that positive and feel good, Literally, you can uplift a whole like nation of people, man. And that's one of the things I think we're, we're really, you know, there's a shift right now going on in the world. And I really believe it's, it's a spiritual shift. Yeah, I, I think the same. I feel like we're at a critical mass. And I hope over the side before we fall down, roll down the hill once and for all. You know, it's, um, and I, this is not a way into politics at all. But a lady named Marianne Williamson ran for president uh, this this election. She was in a, she ran in the Democratic primaries. Do you remember that? Or are you familiar with her? Mm -mm. She she ran pretty much on the platform that we're addressing. The world needs to be a nicer place. Marianne Williamson is one of the top authors. And I'm not saying I endorsed her. I, I didn't necessarily. And I don't talk about who I endorse anyway. It's not important. Who cares? And that gets into politics anyway. But um, her whole platform was, we need to be nicer to one another. We need to be more positive. The rest can fix itself. And uh, <laughs> there was something really resonant in, in about what she had to say. She got up on the stage for the first two debates, I think, before her numbers were so low, she wasn't um, invited back. But it was it was neat to see that, that contrast, I think, because she, she wasn't a politician. And if she had won, I mean, we probably have no economy. We probably have no electricity. But <laughs> everybody might be, everybody might be happier. Who knows, right? right. Uh. Marianne, twenty twenty four. Go. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I know, right? Oh, uh, we might be ready for it then. Oh man, Herc, it's so good to see you, dude. Um, you know, it 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 truly is great seeing you here. Hopefully, uh, we get to meet up before long when I'm back out your way if I ever decide to to leave the safety of this little island here. <laughs> and, uh, go, go deal with the big mad world out there again. Um, man, I'm glad you're doing so well. It's it's really really nice to see that. And uh, your your YouTube channel has been crawling across the bottom of the screen here. Uh, everybody pointed it to you. Fresh out on YouTube, you can get Big Herc's books on Amazon. And uh, you know, I don't say this often, but follow this guy because the world does need to shift. And my friends, people like you that are, that are leading that shift, and uh, you know, for that reason, amongst many many others, I, I admire you and I appreciate you. Well, thanks for being here. Hey, I, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity. And, um, man, it's going back almost a decade that we met. And, um, you know, along that journey, man, I let, met a lot of good people through you, man. And we've had some, you know, some pretty some pretty crazy times. I mean, hanging out in Vegas, uh, you know, just going to different functions. I mean, dude, we, we've had some, some really interesting times, man. And, um, you know, when I didn't know a lot of people, you gave me the benefit of the doubt. And that says a lot about your character because you didn't, you know, you, you didn't you didn't know my past, but you didn't judge me on the present. So, you know, it's the it's, uh, universe brings people into your life. And um, whenever somebody has been in my life this long, I got to I, you know, I show them a certain level of respect because I know that there's a reason why we're still in contact, man. And um you know, it's good that I was able to, I'm happy I was able to get on your show, bro, and share my story. Same here. Thanks for your time. And I continue to follow you on, uh, on social, of course. And my friend, I look forward to uh, our paths crossing again uh, sooner rather than later. For sure, man. And you be safe and take care out there. Watch out for them damn earthquakes. I, you know, I go outside and story the damage now. <laughs> take care, my friend. See you soon. Okay. Take care. And that was fun. I mean, you never know what you're uh, what you're gonna get. Um, it's great to see an old friend, and as I said to him numerous times, really, really nice to see somebody doing so well, and someone that really deserves it, and uh, has their heart in the right place, and works toward it. Something for us all to aspire to. I think normally I would do uh, a wrap up with my great partner and producer John Paws. Um, he is on mute today, uh, back on the eastern side of the U.S. So very, very brief uh, wrap up here. That's all we have for today. Uh, glad to have Big Herc on. You know where you can check him out. And it's Rick Bassman here on Maui for Talking Tough, signing off for myself and John Paws of the two-man power trip. See you soon. Aloha. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done.
Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.